Yes, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes this morning, Lord, as we come and we look to your word, Lord, as we look to you, Lord, that you would come and move on John as he brings this word to us this morning, that you would give him the, the words to speak, that you would anoint his lips, Lord, for this purpose, that you would give us open hearts and open ears to hear everything that you want to share with us this morning, Lord God, that we might be fully blessed by you and be able to bless you back in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Amen. Thank you. If you've just joined us and you don't know why I'm speaking, time hasn't suddenly gone into a time warp. Um, We're doing it a little bit differently this morning because uh, my subject is worship. Um, And uh, um, Becky, I'm aiming to finish probably in about 40 minutes. So if you guys can join us for worship, that'd be great. Um, Put my uh, slide up there, Dave. Oh. oh, right. Just a little exercise before we get going. I just wondered if you want to just close your eyes, just plant your feet on the ground so you can feel the, the floor. As we close our eyes, I just want you just to be conscious of the past. Don't have to go too deep, but maybe even just yesterday and... Um, And Father, I just thank you that we can leave the past in your hands. And as we just consider the future, maybe our desires, our dreams, our anxieties, Lord, we are so grateful we can not worry about tomorrow, but we can commit our future to you. So Lord, we are just present. We can just be this morning in your presence. Lord, free from the past, free from the future, just to be yours this morning. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for that wonderful gift. Lord, that when we are yours, everything else, Lord, is yours. And we can be yours this morning. Amen. Amen. So, I want to um, talk this morning about the expression of worship. And again, just to reiterate, we're talking about worship in the context of our meetings. And um, worship is uh, uh, wider than that. You know, we haven't really talked about service. Um, and there are many, many places we can go with that. But, so just really thinking about worship. And what, what I wanted to sort of lay a foundation of this morning is understanding um, how we are made and understanding our bodies, our soul, our spirit, and how they operate, and how we need to understand how they operate when it comes to worship, but also living generally, but particularly worship. So just to start with, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 2. There won't be any verses on the screen, uh, because I've got my presentation. But um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, this is the creation account, and... Verse 7 we read, And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And um, so we are made up of a body. Dust we came, dust we shall return. We are but made up of dust. And so when God took the dust, I don't know whether he formed the shape of a man, but he formed this 
a shape out of the ground, and then he breathed into it the breath of life. And the breath of life, it, that is the human spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, human spirit. So the breath of life has breathed into that body. And then what happened was, was some, uh, because of the two, the body and the spirit coming together, created the soul, as it says um, uh, in verse 7, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature, or your Bible version might say a living soul. Almost like this reaction of the body and the spirit created the soul. Now, it's really important to understand that the, uh, the spirit that we're talking about, every human being has a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God when we talk about we're filled with the spirit. We, it, we have a human spirit, and it is the breath of life. All life comes from God. It's the Holy Spirit that gives life. But as he breathed into Adam at that time, as I said, there's this almost like this reaction with the body that created the soul. And so the soul is really interesting because the soul kind of bridges the gap or bridges the two together. It connects the two. I want to recommend a book. It's called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. Um, and and um, I will unashamedly tell you a lot of what I'm talking about here I learned from him and from that book. So if you want to go into greater detail, read The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. Um, and here we have this body. Now, the, uh, and the soul and the, the spirit. Now, our body is our world-conscious part of us. It is how we interact with the world. We have our five senses. We feel, we touch, we see, we hear, we taste the world around us. And then our soul is our self-conscious part. It's that which is, if our body is our, our five senses, our soul is those things um, like our emotions, our will, where we make decisions. It's our self um, it's our personality. It's what really kind of makes us who we are in, in the way that we then express that through our bodies to the world. So um, that's our self-conscious part. And our spirit is our God-conscious part. And so you can see in this, uh, the spirit, which is really where we find our conscience, our fellowship with God, our relationship with God, our communion with God, or our worship with God, so where, where Jesus said, God is seeking such who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So worship originates from our spirit, through our soul, out through our body. So that's our God-conscious bit. It's also where we might find our intuition. So when you know something, there's something that you know, but it's not because you've seen it, it's not because you've felt it, but it's something more than just our feelings, it's our intuition. So... This is our makeup. So we see that we're made up of body, soul, and, and spirit. And soul being the, the production from the spirit entering the body, this, um, this part of us which connects the body with the spirit. So, <clears throat> and I think this is, this is quite interesting, and I hope that we get this, because the soul is quite crucial to our existence. The spirit needs the soul in order to express itself through our body. The body needs the soul in order for the spirit to understand what's happening around us. And so when we think about the, the, um, the body, the body can rule over our spirit. Let's just think of us, ourselves as not being born again, not being brought to life by Jesus. Our body 
can have an impact on our spirit because our body has certain cravings. Our soul um, will make decisions based on what's happening around us, based on our body, and will rule over our spirit. And this is the problem of man today, that we are led, if we had time to go into the scriptures, that um, Ephesians chapter 4 says that, that man is, is sensual. We're led by our senses, by our desires, by our feelings. We're led by the desires of our flesh, physically, our body. And our soul, right in there is the decision maker, is the will, says, should I go with my body or should I go with what I believe is right in my conscience? So the soul, can you, do you understand? The soul is a crucial part of us. So, and it's really, the soul is there to maintain proper order. We were created as spiritual people with personalities that will operate from the spirit out through our bodies. But when sin came in, as we'll see a bit later, man died, or the spirit lost its connection with God, it lost that consciousness of God, and the soul took over. So, I know, are you with me on this? It's good, isn't it? Did you know, so let's take ourselves back into the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah? Now, what did God say? You shall not eat of any, any tree. Uh, you, should, you can eat of any tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was another tree they did not eat from, which was the tree of life. If they had eaten from the tree of life, they would have received eternal life. They would live forever. If they, as they did, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what did they do? They, we're looking a bit more into it, but they became aware of their self. Now, our self, our soul, is our mind, our intellect, our reason. And so what happened was, they ate from the tree of life, they didn't eat from the tree of life, which leads to eternal life, but they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which leads to knowledge, the, the empowering of their mind, their intellect, their self. And in the process, their spirit, their God consciousness died. And so man became led by their self. From that very from that moment, sin came in, affected the body. Now the body's desires are no longer godly, they're self-orientated. So the soul, the self, is making decisions based on the cravings of a sinful body. So when in Ephesians, in um, um, Hebrews 7, uh, Romans 7, when Paul says, um, who can deliver me from this body of death? He's talking about this sin-wracked body that is causing him, through the soul, to make decisions that are anti-spirit. Now, I, I see that as a pre-born-again phase, which we can go into this bit later. Now, also in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes along, speaks to Eve, and says to this, this is in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. God knows that when you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband and he ate 
So you will be like God, knowing good and evil. If you eat of this tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's an appeal to anyone? Self. You will be like God. Your self will rise above and you will be like God. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the appeal to the body, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the appeal to the soul. Yeah? So, and what you will find is in this day and age that we live in, when we live in this in the um, now fallen world, everybody is uh, sinful, then the enemy will always, and your body will always have a focus on itself. So you will have desires that will want you to make a decision that will puff up yourself and push down any desire for God. So just as Satan came then, so Satan comes now. And it's exactly the same temptations that Christ had, just as Eve had. But Christ said, no. And when sin came in, so temptations come first to the body. James 1, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation is your self, your body, or your, your flesh causing you to want something that is wrong. And when we give in to that, in other words, so the soul in this decision-making, if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, the soul will force its will upon the spirit. So, Adam sinned, his spirit died, no longer God-conscious, the soul takes over, driven by our senses, weakened in our will. You see that process? And if, if only, I know this is the great thing, if only he had eaten of the, the tree of life. But as soon as he ate of the tree of knowledge, it puffed up his soul, it puffed up his mind, his knowledge. So, God, let me just go back to this because I think this is quite interesting. Um, our spirit died, humanity's spirit died. And in John 20, verse 22, he says, because this is the point, this is when we say you must be born again. It is a recognition that until we have a power that is not our spirit, which is powerless in a sinful body and a sinful soul, it is powerless. We need, we need a shot of power to come and, uh, and come into our spirit to give us power over the soul and over the body. So you must be born again. You cannot be a Christian you, you know, you can come and you can have a desire for God, you can know it in your conscience, but you can't live as a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's regeneration. We need to come alive. Now, um, I think I, I just, this is just a little on the side I thought was really um, interesting and, and encouraging. In John 20, verse 22, Jesus got his, um, before he died, he got his disciples around him, and he said this, he he, he uh, he breathed on them the breath of Jesus and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Now, some would say that they received the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they were baptized in spirit. Some might say that it was like an Old Testament anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is what I think, because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet until Pentecost. Or another, another thing that I think possibly is that he was showing the way in which just as Adam was breathed with the life of God, there was another breath of God that was going to fill them. And he was telling them, there's, just as Adam received the, the human spirit, there's another breath of God where you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit as a way, this is my theory, as a way of helping them to see one day there's a breath of God that's going to come and you will know what it is. You will know that that is the Holy Spirit. And in the, in the day of Pentecost, up in the uh, um, upper room, many of us will know, Acts chapter 2, what happened? A wind blew in and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire were on their head. I just found that really interesting. That we see, because we see in Christ is the new Adam, and we see the old Adam, we see the fundamental requirement that we need to be filled with Holy Spirit. That is the power. Now, I'm assuming that, that, you know, we have to understand that you cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit. Because the human spirit can't do anything of its own self. It is dead. It is, it is cut off from God. It has no God consciousness. We have to be conscious of God in order to worship. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me just say this as a, uh, a little side thing. I think that God will receive some worship from um, hearts like, can the kids really worship God if they're not born again? I think God loves the little children as they worship him in the way they, they understand it. I think that's a different thing. But we're talking about being worshippers of God in spirit and in truth. So I hope I'm not contradicting myself there. I hope you understand the difference. God breathed in him a human spirit, and we need the breath of Christ for second birth, new birth, which brings the spirit of God to dwell in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Spiritual exercise. So we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but what happens? And um, the, in Galatians, or, or, or you could say that the soul, up to this point, the soul has been so intertwined with the human spirit that it's hard to separate the two. So because the soul has been so, the, the spirit, human spirit has been so powerless, the soul has taken over to such a degree that when the Holy Spirit comes in, the first thing he wants to do is to separate out the differences between soul and spirit. And if anyone wants to quote Hebrews, whatever it is, says the word of God is powerful and effective even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And that's how we, that's why we are here, to hear the word of God. That's why you read your Bibles, because it's the word of God that informs us, brought to life by the power of the spirit, to separate out that which is of self with that which is of God consciousness, from self-consciousness to God's consciousness. Do you see that? So the spirit, now as Christians, our operation, our exercise has to be spiritual exercise. Hebrews, I think it's the end of Hebrews chapter 5. By now you should be such and such. By regular exercise of your spiritual senses, he says. So the spirit starts, when you're born again, the spirit starts to take control of the body. 
and the self soul starts to rub against it. When you know you need to do something right, but everything in you just like fears coming, anxieties, worries, uh, confusions, even rebellion, even sinfulness starts to um, bear its head and itself trying to exert control. And the process of, of being conformed to Christ is, is that process where the Spirit is saying, I'm in control. And bringing under subjection ourself. So, there's a verse, and someone might be able to shout out the verse. It says, bring every argument... Uh, um, anyone? Under subjection, but it's another word. Under submission? Yeah, there's, there's two. There's one about body. It says, I beat my body. Not that he was talking about he literally beats his body. He brings his body under subjection. He says, and every thought and intents of the heart I bring under subjection. To a word to paraphrase. To captive. Thank you, guy. I make it captive. I bring it into captivity. Every my thought. When I start thinking things that are wrong, I, my spirit operates, says no, to the soul. The soul brings it under, com, uh, under captivity. And probably, and this is where we're heading to, you have to do something with your body to make sure that doesn't happen. So instead of living as pre-new birth, we were living, as people in the world do, from the things of this world being uh, as um, Romans 12 says, being conformed by the world, which is an external pressure to change you from outside in, we are transformed from the inside out by the renewal of our mind. Yeah? It's all becoming clear now, isn't it? Amen. Amen? Amen, good. Galatians 5 verse 17, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The desires of your spirit start to move. I want to praise God. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to start loving my enemies. I want to live in forgiveness, not in vengeance. And your spirit starts to move these attributes and characteristics of Christ. And then your soul says, oh, no, but this, but this, and starts to argue, and the Spirit says, no. I'm in control by the power of God. And the will bends to the power of the Spirit, and the body outworks it through the words that we say, through the actions that we do. Walk in the Spirit. Now, if you walk in the flesh, if you give in to yourself, then it will lead you, and you can read Galatians 5, to all the various things it will lead you into, ultimately to sin. <clears throat> so our soul can be affected by a broken body if we don't engage and exercise our spirit. And worship is a spiritual exercise. So from now on, uh, so we've, we've seen now that in, our, in worship, let's bring ourselves into the context of worship, when we come into worship, we may feel tired, our body. We may feel our mind is all going all over things. That's our soul. We might feel otherwise from any kind of activity of worship. That's our feelings, our soul. Confusion, the word of the enemy into our minds. Self-consciousness, fear, anxiety, worries. 
It's all our soul. It's all our body. So when we come into worship, when we come into this place of worship, we have to bring our bodies and our souls, our minds, under captivity, into subjection, because we're here and the Spirit's in charge here. Psalm 103, 1 to 2. And Daniel made a comment last week, and, I've, and I'm going to reiterate it. He says, at times the scripture says, to command your soul to worship God. Psalm 103, 1 to 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's talking to himself. And maybe that's what we need to do when we're here and we're, everything seems to be against us. The enemy's against us. Everyone's against us when we want to worship. The enemy, our soul, if it's the areas of our soul, particularly not under our subjection. Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Repeats it in verse 34. See, whether we feel like it or understand necessarily what we're doing and in the intricacy of it, we need to speak to ourselves and say, today I'm going to praise him. Now, the reality is sometimes there are things that are going through our mind because we're busy and there are people here, it was a comment made that there's just a lot going on, even with the works, uh, you know, in church work, and we can come to worship and we're thinking about all these things. And the question is, how do we bring our minds and our bodies under subjection of our spirits? And I think that there are nine... Uh, expressions of worship. Again, I got this off of a website called experiencingworship.com. Um, why reinvent the wheel? Really helpful. Nine expressions um, that if you're struggling to worship, essentially you've got to do something with your body. There are nine expressions of worship, and they all, because they're expressions, all use our bodies. So, let's have a quick look through. So, voices, posture, hands. Okay? Speaking. Psalm, I'm just going to run, just chuck out these verses so you know they're in the Bible. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Maybe in the context of worship, you're just saying, Lord, I just love you. I declare my love for you. I want to worship you. You are everything to me. You are amazing. You are great. You don't have to shout it out at this point, although that's another one. Shouting. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. Uh, my dad's here today, and I was listening to He was preaching last week at Worthing, and I was listening, and he, made, uh, he told a little story. My dad is actually quite naturally shy. Right, isn't he, dad? And, it, and he was recounting a time, naturally... <laughs> Spiritually, he's not shy, but naturally, he was quite shy. And there was a time he was painfully shy. Am I right, Dad? And he was in a meeting. He was in a meeting, and he just shouted. And that was a turning point in his life. Freedom through shouting. Does anyone remember a man called Donald McKenzie? Yeah. If he was in this thing, when he shouted, your, your pacemaker would pop. <laughs> I mean, he did it a lot. I thought, at the time I thought, that's a bit too much. But I tell you something, there is something about shouting. Now, you don't have to be a Donald McKenzie, and you, we don't have to shout for an hour. That was a move of God where God was releasing people through the Spirit breaking out of their body, through shouting. 
And it was this praise and shouts of joy. I don't, I mean, I wasn't there, but, you know, if, if we go by what the Bible says, we've got to let it out. And maybe you're painfully shy. And maybe that's your breakthrough. Number three, singing. Psalm 47, verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises to our King, sing praises. I always think singing engages the soul and the mind and it moves us to think about God because the music is emotional. It's, let's not think that our soul can't worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, your body. Love God and worship God with everything. Your spirit can make that happen. God's spirit in us. It engages all these things. It encourages our soul in adversity. You remember Paul and Silas in prison, in the chains, in those stocks, singing hymns. It, it encouraged their hearts. See, when you sing, rich words of truth go out of our mouths into our ears and stirring our hearts. See, emotions are good if you engage them in worship. If it's all about getting an emotion, well, that's self. If our hearts to, is to love God, it comes from our spirit. So that's our voices. And then our posture. So we've got bowing, and I want to include in that kneeling or lying, prostrate on our faces. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. That's Psalm 95, verse 6. Some of the times when God's just moved on me, um, I've just felt a freedom just to lie on my face and just be his. And say, Lord, do whatever you want with me. And I don't know what he's done, but he's done something. And that's, it's just a wonderful place of worship. It's wonderful to see people finding that place in our meetings where they can kneel or lie down and say, Lord, I don't know what they're thinking, but in my mind, I'm yours. I worship you. It's a place of humility and dependence on God. <clears throat> Standing. In, in Exodus 3, Moses stood at the burning bush. When, when the bride walked down the aisle yesterday, everyone stood up. Uh, I was watching a TV program, the president comes in the room, they all stand up because standing is a position of respect, particularly in our culture, of honour. It's of reverence. It's of awe. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Uh, where's the other song we sing? I stand amazed in the presence. Is that right? Yeah, I can't remember the rest of it. Standing. That's why we stand. I was brought up as a child to stand in every hymn. I don't know why the hymns are so reverential, but I had to stand when the hymns, not the choruses, the, the hymns. <laughs> but maybe because the hymns were so rich with truth about Jesus. Stand up and sing. Let's love God. Let's be standing in his presence. I, I, I brought, when I was doing the youth, I used to say to them, say, don't sit down until you've met with God because they would be sitting down because they'd be scared to stand up. I spent a lot of time saying, stand up, no one's looking at you, except there was one person who used to look at them. But, you know, self-consciousness stops us worshiping. It's self, soul, spirit operates through our soul. You getting it, yeah? Praise, uh, dancing, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. Sorry, I said tambourine, Drew. <laughs> I said I'd take that one out. Psalm 149, verse 3. Praise and worship is joyful. There's times for reverence and laying on our face for a holy God, but Scripture says in his presence there's fullness of joy. And I think it goes on, what does it say? And at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. Is that right? 
Dancing, now I've seen different types of dancing in church, and I remember, many of you might remember Rachel, who did a dance here to start off our worship. Oh, fantastic. Because I knew that what in her heart was just, just to express something. I remember years ago at a summer conference down in, in Aurora, many years ago, seeing first time I saw someone do it, it was, like, it was basically sign language. And I thought, wow, it, they're saying more than just what they're singing. It was wonderful. I know that, not technically dancing, but for Aurora, that was quite kind of risky. That was, that was kind of on the edge. But it's a great way of, of expressing our love to God, and I love it. I know we can use the banners in that, but I love when I see Joe um, just loving God, loving God and around the hall with the flags and things like that. Uh, our hands, how are we doing? I need to finish soon. Playing instruments with our hands. Praise the Lord with the harp. As a, uh, make music hymn on the ten-stringed lyre uh, or guitar. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. You know, I, I think there is something to be said for playing skillfully, but it's not necessarily where you have to start. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're, you're learning and you, get, you came to the worship uh, workshop thing and you're learning and you're learning from these guys who can play it and all sorts of instruments, but it's a wonderful way of expressing our worship. And, and I trust that the worship team, they're not up here because they're good at guitar, they're up here because they want to worship. That was a guitar. Clapping. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. So we use clapping two ways, to accompany music with per, uh, percussion, um, we, we do it as expressions of joy, of celebration. You know, there's times where after time where we've been singing or praying to God, we've all clapped because we're saying, yes, this is great, isn't it? It's a way of engaging, I think this from the worship team, it's a way of engaging with the congregation and the song we're singing with more than just mouths, much like tapping our feet and dancing. When you look online, you, you don't get all the music and the sound very much of the congregation. You get mainly the vocalists and then a whole bunch of people that sway. <laughs> it's okay if you want to just sort of do this. Clap. We lift our hands. I will praise you, Psalm 63, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, an outward expression of the heart an expression praise, an openness to access. I don't know what you do when you put your hands there. There's different ways. This is, this is mine. You can take it or leave it. I'm like, Lord, I just, I just, I'm yours. And there's times where, Lord, I just want to receive. Well, that's what I do anyway. Some would say touchdown. But <laughs> I want to just receive. I, you know, you die for me that I may have your blessing. I want every, you know, I want everything you've got. I don't want you to have died for no reason. I don't want your, your death to have, have a whole load of wastage. Just give me everything. Take from me. Give me. That's when I put my hands up. Or it's, or it's a reckoning, Lord, I, you know, I agree. I agree. One, again, when I was doing the youth, it's a, one of the first things I said, just put your hands up. I tell you, it was amazing how hard it was for young people, probably still today, and maybe for some in here, to raise their hands. It's almost like I'm, I'm revealing myself. And in many ways we are. 
in a spiritual sense. Amen. So there's nine things there. We, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we need to enter into this place of worship. So and there's, there's this journey into the Holy of Holies. We go from the gate into, to the courts, to the holy place, and we can enter the holy place because we're all priests, and we can go into the Holy of Holies because Jesus has removed the curtain that we can all enter right into that deeper place of worship. Now, the worship team, uh, I think, have a, and the meeting leader has a particular uh, responsibility in that. But equally, we have a responsibility. And I firmly believe this, that when we want to enter in, the enemy wants to stop us because it's a place of power and it's a place of liberties we enter in. And there are three things that I want to mention because not only is the worship leader and the meeting leader going to lead us um, up to the point where they don't need to lead us, and we've all been in meetings where um, we don't need to be led. The Holy Spirit is just has everything. He's moving us. He's, but there's a time where we need support and help to move out of our soul realm into being moved, led by our spirit, where we're enabling people to, to do things with their body in order to bring into captivity their mind, all these things I've mentioned. And one of those things is prayer. And I want to I appeal to you, if you're in there in worship and you maybe sense in your spirit there are many people that are not, then for you to pray and intercede and say, Lord, will you break people through? Now, the worship leader particularly, and when I say worship, I'm, I want to include the meeting leader, they have an opportunity where they can see and sense things of the Spirit and direct with their voice, say, look, let's do this, let's pray, let's do this, and we should go with them. So the role of the, these people that are on here is to help us to move into a deeper place. Now, last week it was interesting because actually Jim brought a song, and I, I knew that we moved into a deeper place. Purely for a song. And it came from the congregation. That's when the Holy Spirit is moving. And then the worship team go with it. But the worship leaders, their responsibility is to know how to take people into. They're not just there to play songs. So when Drew leaves later, he's prepared himself as a vessel to say, Lord, I want to be used of you to move us together into a place. So we need to go with them, but we need to pray. Tongues, a spiritual prayer language. I believe that, it is, that, that tongues is a, a means which has given us a prayer language that we can, not for interpretation, but as we're praying, and sometimes we do it together, that there is spiritual breakthrough that releases something of God in this room because we're praying the prayers of the throne. It's not coming through our minds, it's coming from our spirit. And again, when you, if you have that gift, to operate in it so that we can really break through. In my mind, and whether this is true or not, but in my mind it helps me to understand that it, it takes something to go from the gate into the courts, from the courts into the holy place, from the holy place into the holy of holies. And we need to move in. But we want to get there together. So you may be right in there in the holy of holies, Pray that others come in. Pray that through your expression, which is for the common good. The third thing is sacrifice. I did do a slide for this, by the way, but I copied it onto the wrong thing. David said, I will not offer 
burnt offerings or worship to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. There have been times when people have brought something that's cost them and it breaks through. Something in the spirit realm just breaks because God pours out on sacrifice, the fire comes. You read the Bible, you, many of you will know these stories. When you bring that which costs you something, a cry of your heart, maybe you bring a, an outward prayer, maybe you come to the front just to kneel and lie on the floor because you just feel that's what you need to do and everything in your mind is saying, but what are people going to think? People think, I've got a problem. What about all this? You say, no, I'm going to do it because I believe this is what God is telling me to do and because of your act of sacrifice, God moves. So we need to go with our worship leaders. We need to take this sense of, Lord, we want to move together in and I'm going to put you, my body into a place of worship. My mouth, my hands, my posture. So let me just sum up with this and then we can worship. So we need to exercise our spirit, bringing our body and soul into subjection, taking every thought captive Command your soul, command my soul, and put your body in a right position for worship. Uh, we say this again and again. Will you move out of your chair, please, if it makes you freer in worship? The chairs are for the sermon, not for worship. Or your feet are tired and you have to sit down because of other reasons, but for the 90% of us. Make it your expectation and your reason in worship to enter into the holy places, to minister to God, come prepared. And don't forsake this corporate gathering of entering in together. Bring others with you in your worship. And pray in tongues, break through. Satan and self will struggle against us, but we have the power in us. Amen? So I'm going to pray. Maybe Drew wants to come and... And worship, and so I want to maybe uh, encourage you this morning to use this morning as an opportunity to do something with your body. To get out of your seat, to stand up if you've never put your hand, or to kneel down, or to, to pray out. Maybe those of us who are quite used to praying out, maybe give others opportunity. Don't just take up the opportunity, find other ways in which you can worship God, but... For, for, for us, is an opportunity now where we can now put some of this into, into practice. Should we stand together? Heavenly Father, our goal here is not that we just uh, do these things, but that we worship you. And Father, I want to thank you that for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that enables us to worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, I want to just say, will you come? and pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, this morning, in order that we may enter right into the holy of holies and minister to you and love you and adore you, Lord, and bless your holy name. Lord, will you come and enable us to take our bodies and our souls under captivity that we may allow our spirits to freely worship you. Lord, will you come and do this work in us, Lord, that it's not just stuff in our heads and in our minds, but it's in our hearts. It's in our spirits, Lord. Will you come and operate this morning? Come and set us free. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the object of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.